Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. And this is Adam. And we are the Queer Arabs. And today we are with a guest. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Daima Rubashir, and I'm a playwright and theater maker awesome. in New York City. Amazing. Um, could you give us like a little... I hate asking people to recap their work in a few sentences, but I guess a few <laughs> sentences about what you want people to know about your work, first of Classic. all. Classic. Yeah, totally. Well, um, I'm a theater maker, and I make work... I have two two styles of, of work. I have um, more traditional plays which um, cover um, queer and um, Muslim or faith-based um, content. Um, my background is I, I grew up in a Muslim background in a Sunni tradition and then I came out of the closet, yay! Um, and then I, once I began making theater, um, I felt like, wow, that's a rich tapestry to, or rich well to draw from. Um, so I make work about that. Also, um, I come from, um, I went to, I've just studied under some more experimental and surrealistic um, mentors. Um, so my, I also have a different practice, um, everyday Afroplay, which is, Another type of work that I do is very is focused on black bodies in um, just black bodies and how how those manifest both in white spaces and non-white spaces and I have a series of plays called Everyday Afro Play, um, which I have work from there. There's a, a, a published text called The Measurable One of Light from Everyday Afro Play. There's also um, a theater piece called the, the Chronicles of Cardigan Kinte, which I worked on at Soho Rep. Um, and there's some other work that comes out of Everyday Afro Play as well. That's just a few, that's, that's two prongs of my practice. Yay. Awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. Okay, sorry. Great. Um, do you want to talk about how you originally were drawn to theater? Oh my goodness. Um, yes, I've always been a drama queen. And I remember... <laughs> um, How are we all? <laughs> <laughs> I've always been like anything that happens, I feel it to um, on a scale of one to 10, like an 18. And I <laughs> tend to show that. And my, you know, my family can attest to the fact that, you know, nothing goes without a scream or a cry <laughs> so um i think i was meant for theater um i did go to i went to school of the art institute in chicago for undergrad and so i do have a theater i mean a film and video background as well but um how i got to theater is is i stud i did some performance stuff in houston and then um that I was just fell in love like being on stage and writing for stage has just been the place where I feel most alive um and I feel like I'm I'm uh, um I feel like I'm most useful when I'm telling stories both my own for other people um 
I think my mo like I, I feel most like actualized when I when I when my work is shown and people come up and like I can get conversations about like oh my god no one's ever said that out loud and that's what my DNA has been about for a while and I've had several show like readings or plays where that's happened and I'm like that's what I'm here for is to um, connect thoughts and ideas for audiences for you know healing or you know forward movement or um, or just a place where we can put our our emotions that we can't get you know at the bank or at the post office because they're doing too busy doing mail do you know what I mean <laughs> that's so beautiful I, I just love the way you framed that uh, I guess something something we we were thinking about like I, sh I should talk about how we like first came across uh, you, you and, and your artistry was uh, this is what we're we're having this conversation on June 18, which is um, almost mm. three weeks into the protests that have um, mm -hmm. uh, arised all across the United States and beyond regarding um, state. Uh, police brutality, anti-black state violence, and anti-racism generally, and racism generally. Uh, the protests are not protesting anti-racism. Sorry, that was a lot of words. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, your your invocation of um, of this queer and Muslim identity and how um, blackness plays a role in that, uh, and then specifically the conversations that our um, community and I say our community referring specifically to theater has been uh, having with um, racism and prejudice is um, something that I feel like we both like are very invested in and have a lot to talk about uh, and have a lot to say about. So I'd love to maybe steer the conversation in that direction. Absolutely. Um, wow, there is so much in the, that question. So um, I don't want to skip over any part of it because there's the my brain is firing and I want to make sure I get everything. So right now in this moment, um, we are really, I think people because of COVID-19, people have been in their homes and not engaged in the grind of the day to day. And so there's so much time to think and meditate and channel energy. And then, you know, one too many, I think the the sort of visibility of pr police brutality combined with people being available to think about it has been, you know, um, I don't want to call this good because it's not good. It's like this is has been under the surface since we've all, you know, all types of us you guys and how we, since we've come to this country, coming to this country is one of the most interesting um, concepts of, of thinking. It's just like, why do we come here is for economic freedom. Yeah, and which is, which is under, under, I know this is, oh my goodness. So if you think about, it, we've all come here for economic freedom, yet that's not what has happened. Um, it, it, we've come here on this, this dream and, and, or a hope for escape from some sort of, um, um, fear of poverty or scarcity, 
Um, and I'm talking about like, I know I'm like off in the deep end and I, and I'm pray to God that I'm going to scramble out of this, <laughs> this explanation. Um, but like our, all of our peoples have come here for this economic route that hasn't happened. And here we are, we're sitting in COVID-19 and many 40, Two million people is it that have lost their jobs and have no way of getting employment and then we see um what has always been is like black bodies and brown bodies are regularly abused and brutalized by our law enforcement and like what else can you do but erupt like when one too many times you get hit like eventually you're like no you're hit and you're starving too. Mm -mm. So now we're in this moment where people are, you know, not afraid to face the challenges of just speaking up because there's a lot of fear around speaking up. I grew up in a very, in a, in a Muslim household and, and unfortunately there was a little bit of dysfunction. And so speaking up and being vocal, especially as a woman um, was not fun and not appro not appropriate at all and then to like come out of the closet and like be queer in that environment as well is like deeply sad I mean like I almost want to cry like thinking about what you know what we've probably all all you know all of us on this call have walked through as we're coming out so now we're in this moment and I feel like my work around being queer black and Muslim and the way Muslims are treated in this country and marginalized, I think this is the exact moment where it's like one too many times I've, I've I think my body has been marginalized and like silenced and erased and um, overlooked and discarded. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I don't care anymore what you think about me. I'm going to one foot in front of the other, move forward with doing my work. And that is what I think my um, play Room Enough for us all really is about. In a positive way, I'm interested in what the future of a body like mine can be like if, if there was space, if there was enough space for us to put our selfishness our um, attachment to supremacy aside to, to be coexist. I'm like, I'm wondering what that could be like. And so that's what that play is. So just a little bit, Room Enough for Us All is about, um, um, is about the Rashid family. And there is Fatima, who's the matriarch and Abdullah and Jamila are twins. Um, Jamila was uh, disowned for about 10 years and then she comes back and Abdullah who is the son the favored son can't handle the fact that Jamila is welcomed back and the play's trajectory sits with like how do we hold in our in one in both hands in acceptance, you know, our religious affiliation and our love for Islam and our love for what that means and queerness and our love for what that means and the fact that there's so much openness in in the religion. And we see Fatima um, 
challenge all of us to hold both of those because she does. She's an avid Muslim person and she, she goes to Juman as a part of the Muslim community in the African-American Muslim community that's mostly Sunni based. And she does the, the id festivals and, and the school stuff. And, um, and now she's ready to take this on. And so like, and, and we look at Jamila who is, um, you know, who is a queer Muslim um, African-American, but has like other sorts of struggles about being in that kind of body in American society in society and like what being disowned for 10 years has done to her spirit and how does she show up at the table? Um, and she has to come to terms with facing being visible again with her queerness because her mom wants to. And that's like, what? Like, I, I mean, personally, like when I go back home, and I think about going to the masjid and going to Juma with my mother, it like, there's a lot of fear that comes up. Sometimes I go and, you know, I do the whole thing and I wear the scarf and I, you know, um, wear the, yeah, I'll wear the hijab and like participate. But inside there's, there's wars going on and unhealed hurts. Yeah. So, I think I I I I think Jamila is um is like scared to face that visibility, like it's it's like a challenge. I don't know about what you guys go through about staying Muslim. Ooh, I didn't realize. No, I didn't realize this was gonna happen. Um, I don't know why I'm shocked. I mean, it's so it's, so rarely talked about. You yeah, know? it's not yeah. talked about enough. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like in our theater spaces and in our, I suppose, artistic spaces, like they're so secular, which is understandable because, right. like, I think like different people have different relationships to religion, and religion has different kinds of. Uh, I mean, we were recording a podcast episode yesterday and I went on a long rant about religion. So like, um, all, all to say that like, um, I think for, for some people and because of certain contexts, of course, like religion can be like incredibly challenging and there comes like their antagonism towards religion is something that like one's own religion, I don't mean like Islamophobia, that's not what I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. right, right. Um, but that antagonism can also like make the spaces we choose to embody become very secular. But then when that idea of like reckoning with, reckoning with one's own religion then becomes very challenging because I don't feel like society really has a space for that. Cause like you have religious spaces, which are like, you're supposed to like affirm your religion and like right, right. pretend you have no doubt. <laughs> and then you have secular <laughs> spaces where, you know, you don't really talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So that it's in the it's in the it's in the in between space of all three of those. Right. Yeah. I, I okay. So just to clarify, um, so I my parents were an interreligious marriage, so I kind of grew up with like this kind of sense of like secularism, but also just like religious mm -hmm. ambivalence myself, and like my parents were also like navigating their own ambivalence towards religion at the time because like that was a big deal for them. Um, but now I find myself in a lot of spaces where, like, a lot of people I'm around are, like, reclaiming their own religious traditions. Um, and that's just been, like, 
Yeah, I, I always just assumed that like religion was not for me, and then I lucked out by not being raised in a particular tradition. But um, now I, I, I don't know. I, I think I just have a much broader view on that. And now that I, there, there's just so many ways for people to um, find their own connection to the traditions they were raised in or the traditions they weren't raised in or um, make space for their own sexuality or gender expression or way of life. Um, yeah, I, I, it's like, it's it's not the process that I'm on personally, but it's also just kind of, um, it, it's, it's really just brought in my concept of what spirituality and religion means and right. like what what I used to think was like prejudices rooted in religion are sometimes just rooted in culture and rooted in people. Right. You know? right. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, in my case, like one side is Muslim and my father's side of the family is Muslim. And a lot of the connections I have with especially older family members centers are like the focus is on discussions of Islam. Um, and I think for me, that is my particular connection to the religion is the conversations I have with family. And I think there are just so many ways one can find a connection to a religion. And I think not thinking about it in such a binary is, you know, it's helpful it's hard sometimes to find people who are down to talk about it. It's not a binary. So it's nice that we're having this conversation. Yeah. And I think yeah. I've said this on the podcast before, but one thing I realized about my own family is the people who are like doing the most religious practice are not the same people who are doing the most religious judging, you know, like totally there, there are people who, like, who yeah. never That's go to mosque religious. or never go to church, but they will get so pissed that you married outside your religion whereas like the people who are like devout are just like over there doing their religion we're doing our thing yeah they might be focused on oh i don't know god or who's that i feel like i am like i don't know i don't even know if it's useful to bring my perspective of this into the conversation but i uh I grew up in a very religious household, uh, very Muslim, and um, and in a very religious society. Because I, I think like unlike Nadia and Ali, I didn't really grow up in the U.S. I grew up like in um, like different parts of the Middle East. I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not trying to think about the actual religion or scripture or jurisdiction at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've seen people be atrociously cruel in the name of religion. So in my own experience, that, that has caused me to like be very distant from religion myself. Mm -hmm. um, like literally this week, like the episode we were recording yesterday was about uh, a queer woman who like, was tortured and sexually abused in jail in Egypt. And um, this was three years ago. And as a result of like that, and who was like an LGBT activist. And as a result of that, um, a lot of PTSD and like very terrible experiences. She took her own life this week. Um, and this person, and, and this is like somebody that we've been making, doing vigils for, for the last week or so. And the reaction, like for the most part has been incredible vile. Like 
to her death has been incredible violence because of her queerness. And so just like for me, I've just, I've just like had a really hard time navigating how to feel about religion because of that. There are definitely, I wanna like say this, there are definitely ways for people to exist within any religion and be pacifist and loving and queer. Um, and I applaud and admire and respect people who do that. Personally, I think I have, to, I just have, I probably have way too much PTSD from like my upbringing to be able to be religious, to be very blunt. <laughs> like, so oh, yeah. Let me, let me tell you, like I, 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 I totally align and identify with that. Like when I, it isn't often that I'm able to go in those spaces. My religious or any sort of spiritual practice is a private one. It does not include, um, yeah, it's not me going into groups. In fact, like we talked about this before in our initial conversation, like I did join, I did, I had spent some time with the other queer Muslims in New York and trying to do Ramadan and like um, other retreats and stuff. But I still find um, any sort of connection to something outside of myself is done in a private way because of, I think I still like to this day, still working through. Um, I mean, not to the severity of being jailed, um, but still it, it, it's, it's um, other ways to be equally cruel to children and people of you know, queer and queer bodies. Right. Anyway. So I align, yeah, no, my, my practice is very private. Yeah, people, people are too mean. Yeah, they really, really are. It's really the worst. <laughs> I guess I, this was part of like my humongous question that I asked like 20 minutes ago. This is a thing, a trend on this podcast where I ask a question that's actually 45 questions. You do that. Um, yeah, I do do that, yes. Combo uh, deals. <laughs> But um, yeah, I guess like something we've been, we've also been thinking about more in light of this moment. And again, like, I don't know if I've already said this, but we are recording on June 18, is uh, all the conversations that have been happening within the field of theater about um, anti-blackness and about like prejudice and racism and microaggressions and macroaggressions. And, um, and so like, I guess like this is like, the, I think, we have a lot more to say about anti-blackness specifically within Muslim communities within Arab spaces uh, but I guess like because we are in theater I'd like to start there <laughs> oh my god yeah that's a that's a big one it's an interesting thing is is that because um, I'm not really sure what happened because last week you know the internet and um, social media, the socials was ablaze with um, black indigenous people of color were like not afraid and let, let the We See You campaign, there is the Black Theater United and other people, a uh, costume designer calling out um, Rachel Chapkin, there is, um, Oh my God, so much. Oh my goodness, I was just reading letters for, um, about the Flea and um, the Flea Theater and somebody named Bryn like called out all of the stuff about the bats and et cetera, you know? And we see theaters like really taking 
a big pause. And I don't know if they are, I don't know how into what depth they're actually heeding the response, perhaps because they're shutting down. You know, no. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I'm a, maybe I'm a pessimist, uh, but I, uh, and I will not name any theater institutions Please, whatever I will say, do not Google where I, the many, many different places that I work. Uh, do not Google But I at feel all. like, do not Google <laughs> at all, even though it is very easily Googleable. Anyway, uh, my point is, um, I just think like there are a lot of well-meaning people in these theaters and there are a lot of not well-meaning people in these theaters. Um, and there are also capitalist structures that underli underline everything that happens. And so in my experience, like, um, the trickling down racism that exists comes from like the boards that are funding everything because we live in a country where where most of the theaters are non-for-profits that are funded by boards that are funded by rich people who want tax cuts and so um and so i, I just believe that like even though there are a few well-meaning people like the anti-racism the racism is so embedded in the structure that like I honestly hope that 90% of the theaters that exist today shut the fuck down after Corona. You know, and, and me, um, just to, just to backtrack, uh, all of the things that I named was what I'm just happened to see that's happening in the thing. Like I actually, because, um, none of these, these entities that I named feed me at all. Like, they, I don't even know if they know I exist. So I'm just seeing what other people are posting on the internet. And, and, and you know, um, I have no opinion either way. Um, well, actually, I have some feelings, but not really because, like, I, I'm not in it yet, you know? I, I feel like I'm in my own little silo over in the corner. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like, like I think that what's happening right now is a result of, you know, capitalist structures um, are in a pause. But this isn't the first time this has happened. Do you know this sort of shutting down of the um, the thing that worked before, like in the 1830s, um, the cotton industry had a big pause and then there was an eruption in a war. And I think we're just recycling. History just repeats itself over and over and over again. So it really doesn't matter what the entities are. We're still in the same, um, we're still in the same system and it'll keep happening over and over again. Like, no, I don't. Yeah. We're just going to do it again. Is that, I'm the, this is, this is the most downery episode. <laughs> this is what happens when you talk yeah, with I me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do believe that like, we're going to keep doing it again and like racism and prejudice of all sorts will never be solved. But like, I do want to believe that we like slowly over decades inch towards like being a little we, better. That's true. That's totally true. We are inching. We probably have made like a half an inch worth of <laughs> progress. Yeah, I, I think something that is going on is that, like, things are getting harder to brush under the rug. Like, things are being, like, brought to the surface. People are being called out. Right. Where it goes, I don't know. I think also, like, something you were kind of getting at, Adam, is, like, when institutions release statements, it's like, what does that mean the institution said this, right? Because it's composed of a bunch of 
individuals and behind like every statement of like xyz company believes in blah 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 it's like that there was probably a fight there right there was probably like some like under often like an underpaid person of color who was pushing for that statement to happen and Mm -hmm. risking their job and like and until their superior released that statement and got credit for it and maybe the people who have been fighting for that change within that organization lost their jobs in the process or lost something in the process. You know, it, it's it's hard to say whether, like, an institution is genuine or not because within every institution there's different people and different power dynamics. And I, I feel like that's just panning out in, like, a lot of my friends who work in the arts nonprofit world, like, things are happening, but that people are risking their jobs and to make right. things happen yeah i think that yeah i agree that there's a lot of well-meaning people in in these institutions that probably have their their conscious mind and their conscious heart in the right or what they think is the right place for making change and i believe that they got into as many some of these people are like really good friends of mine and they do think that you know that there's some way to perhaps do this better but unfortunately i think we're in um we're just in an overwhelming system that's about profit and about making money and for better or for worse it's hard to it's hard to be a a do-gooder in that system because cap making money hand over fist doesn't happen from doing good so i don't know what's going to happen and i don't know how we how any of us will what will turn out from this um but one thing it'll look good in the beginning and it'll be we'll, we'll, we'll be really happy i i think you know the people who are getting fed will be really happy for a while whoever those people happen to be and then um we'll go on and things will grow and flourish and then they'll die again because this is something i think about of like is sometimes it, like this is a okay this is like really veering way off from the episode maybe we're gonna cut it later but like i think about like (laughs) people's people's like price which is to say that like at Mm. what point like i don't know if i'm if i'm working with an institution that is honoring me as an artist of color and like because there are like there there is that tokenizing effect where sometimes people are like people are an institution will work with one person because they want to like say that they're like look we're 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 like we're diverse (laughs) or whatever right 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 if when somebody the problem is like when you profit or when you become a part of the system then automatically like does that make your voice invalid does that make you unempathetic towards the struggle with everybody else like some someone um someone that i deeply appreciate um and i know that like his play has a lot of contentious contentious things a lot of people don't like it and i respect that but jeremy o'harris like how like even after like being like in New York Kid Workshop, being on Broadway, um, like he is actively and ardently not assimilated into like these neoliberal structures. Like he was like, 
telling people how to like break the doors of the theater down to go see his show. Oh, totally. That tweet. Literally. Yes. He was literally yes. like, if you don't have the money, but want to enter New York Theater Workshop, these are all the tricks you can pull off to actually enter the theater without paying. Um, wow. And even after I'm um, being on Broadway, like he, HBO was like really pushing to work with him. And he was like, you want to work with me? Like you got to hire that many theater artists as well. Like, and like hundreds. And so like, but, but, but here's the thing, like when like the person of color or like the queer person or whatever, like is invited into these structures, most people aren't Jeremy O'Harris. Most people are just like, oh, I'm fine. I've made it. And now I like have to be silent so that I can stay there. Right. Um, you know, I think, um, I don't know. There's another artist, uh, Michael R. Jackson, who did A Strange Loop, is also <laughs> super, I know, I know, he's wonderful. He, um, he's also super vocal. And like, I, I, I think similar opinions, you know, he, you know, these people who have made it, I am really excited to see how, what kind of impact their, like you said, like the the ways that Jeremy is is working with these very behemoth institutions, I'm wondering what will happen like in in five years. Like, how will that change the way we see you know the structures today? Will it look different five years from now? I don't know. Like, because this is the first time we're seeing someone of in those bodies like really say these statements out loud. So it'll be it'll be very interesting to hear. I. I you know, yeah, I I do agree with with, and I'm wondering, and I think about that for myself is like how do like one of the things that that I lean on from Mr. Harris is, you know, um, find ways to you know fund yourself, and you know, rate get your own capital to like make sure that you can do for those people coming up behind you. And I'm like, yes, and I'm thinking about ways like how can I also do that? I'm not in the position that he is by far. But, you know, definitely it's about, it's about making a way for yourself and then um, returning, you know, passing it, that down. I, don't, I hope that makes sense. Anyway. I think it totally does. I, yeah, I really hope that like, if like we are ever in these positions that we are equal, like equally, if not more like right. gracious and like caring for our communities. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I'm seeing that with your the the um, uh, criminal queer festival. How is? I mean, that? yeah, I'm not Jeremy Harris though. <laughs> oh, thank you, but that's that's so generous though. I I mean, I, we're very excited. That's been happening. Uh, for that's I see it all over my feed, so I'm like, oh, he's super. He's big. He's popping. I'm no. <laughs> Okay, moving on now that I'm blushing. Uh, <laughs> I just like don't know how to take a compliment, I guess. <laughs> I'm honored to be on this podcast with the like Poppin' Adam. Oh, oh my god. god. Yeah, Poppin' Adam. Poppin' Adam. I'm gonna disappear now. <laughs> okay, well, um, I guess my next question, and this was something that you touched on. Um, when we were having conversations, uh, when we had a conversation prior to today was specifically about like um, being in Muslim spaces where mm -hmm. this idea of like 
the general American zeitgeist, Islam is like you're Arab all the right. fucking time. And not just uh, American, like, and also like in a lot of Arab zeitgeist, like in a lot of Arab yeah, Muslim yeah, minds, totally. Yeah, yes. like they they also have this idea that Arabs are the most Muslim, whether yeah. they say that out loud or not. <laughs> right. It, Which I don't even yeah. know what the most Muslim means, but that? okay. I, I, I don't know. But. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, and and of course, like you've mentioned, like being in um, spaces that are like Arab, uh, that include people who are Arab and African American, and like other types of Muslims, of course. Uh, and um, and you've mentioned like that there is that level of anti-blackness, and like very early on in, uh, or like this, there's this level of alienation that like sometimes feels inexplicable. I mean, very early on in our, uh, in the last three weeks, like we wanted to think about how, um, like we were complicit in white supremacy and in anti-blackness as Arab communities and like, like at the podcast and like in different Arab spaces, we've been trying to have conversations about that to like resist this popular myth that like anti-blackness is just a white thing or just a US thing, which it's not, um, but- um, But like looking specifically at the context of like the US Muslim community, like that is one context of many that um, Arab supremacy within the regional context um, and Arab anti-blackness show up. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting thing. I since growing up, I can remember when we would. I grew up in a in a predominantly African American, very black centric um, Muslim community in Houston, Texas, and um, the times where we would spend, or I remember spending with um, the Middle Eastern or Arab community, was during at the id festival when we'd all go to the convention center to do the big the um the big um the id prayer and i never i i always remember hearing from my parents and older uh, the elders and older people that the middle easterners are too good for us and so we never did like mingle that way. I think other people, other families did, but not mine. So I didn't have a regular community. There wasn't the regular sort of co-mingling and eating together. Um, I just, we just stuck to ourselves. And then to like, then come out and then go into these queer Muslim spaces, which I was excited to be a part of. And for, for the most part, super welcoming, super friendly initially. And then I guess further along, um, there was this group that we met for Ramadan like every day and had an iftar at different people's houses. And that was really, really good. Um, and I made some really dear friends that I'm still friends with today, but there would come an occasional time where you'd run into, where I would run into people who just didn't have a concept for me or the fact that I was Muslim or, or could be as Muslim as they were. Um, and one time the, the, the story I'll tell where it was just really hit home is me writing this play room enough and I would tell people about it and like, hey, come to the reading and stuff. And one time I went to um, um, an if- a community iftar and this group was like, they hadn't seen me before. So it was introducing ourselves and they were like, what are you working on, blah, blah, blah banter banter chit chat chit chat and I was like room enough it's gonna be at this thing and then what is it about and and I'm like this Muslim mother accepts her queer daughter and the 
he was a man and he just chilled the chill on his face. He's like, that's not possible. And then had a couple of other kind of cutting questions and then the conversation was over. And I'm not the best in those, like I'm not, sometimes like when I'm like hurt, I don't like jump on my feet. So I didn't question him and like, what? What if <laughs> what's I told you it is possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like, what's up with your Arab supremacy? I didn't say that or, may, or whatever kind of supremacy you've got going on. I was just sort of shocked. And that I realized that I began to have doubts about about my work, but that's a that's a normal thing. But then I like went home and I was like, wait a minute, that's his stuff. And like I redoubled my efforts, but it's hard. I didn't go back to another thing after that. Um, I still talk to my friends, you know, when they reach out occasionally, but it's hard to know how to combat people's inability to be in touch with their anti-blackness like I can only go so far you know yeah and especially I, or, sorry or, or, like especially since this is specifically like a queer Muslim space like you're not going there to like explain who you are and fight for yourself you're supposed to be going there to like be yourself and feel safe and still right. that's not happening and so what it, what it touches on for me is is that there is so much work for us to do, even within so-called, and I don't even want to use the word minority because like they're, we're like, we're not a minority, we're like majority of the people on the planet. So it's like people of color, like how do we begin to look at this thing that's in between us so that we can like have like just, so we can have a safe space. Like, what do we have to do? I hope, to, oh my God, did I touch on the right question? I feel like I'm, we're in totally. a deep- yeah. We're having a conversation. I, uh, like, yeah. I don't even remember what the question was, to be honest. Uh, no, but yeah, I mean, this is like, to go back to uh, like, I think this definitely relates to what I was saying earlier, which is this like, there's this assumption that we don't embody anti-blackness. Uh, or we don't have anti-blackness because we didn't grow up in the U.S. or if we grew up in the U.S. because we're not white. And and that's definitely not true. And in and, and a lot of ways, like, there's all kinds of bias, even, like, in terms of, like, how the, like, economies of labor function in, like, a lot of Arab countries where there's a lot of anti-blackness embedded into the law in terms of, like, who is allowed to have what job. Like, this is a conversation that is way, like, that, like, is even more... It's insidious in the fact that people don't even discuss this as a problem. <laughs> like people just like, this is just the way things are. Like this is how we've always been. Um, and so. Yeah, so, I think yeah. now and, there's finally some like reckoning with things that have existed but, but for even a while, like, but in, also it, only in certain circles. I was yeah. gonna say, even in like the Arab world and even in Arab American communities, I feel like there's a reckoning amongst like a small liberal, like upper middle class subset, which is a very small part of like diaspora identities. Um, and, and yeah, and, and like in theater, it is very much entrenched in economics. Like why, why like a lot of Middle Eastern countries hire domestic support from certain countries that are mm -hmm. predominantly black is very much a thing of like, these are the countries that we can afford to get people from, which is like obviously like horrifying. Um, but like all like I would not all I'm sorry but a lot of anti-blackness which exists in the U.S. and in theater and in like elsewhere is so embedded in like the global structures of inequity that like govern a 
a lot of places. I I just have this question about like the, this this conversation leads me to like what is it what is it in a being in a sentient being that is so insecure that makes you need people to be below you in order to feel okay like is that what is that I was thinking about a James Baldwin like little clip that um, I saw recently that I am who is the I won't use the word but he's like who is the and I'm gonna who is the lesser person like and if you've made up lesser person the concept of lesser person and you've placed it um, in your laws, in your you know policy, in your economic stru- structures, if you've made that up, is it me, or is it you, the person who made it up? And like, and then why? Why do you need that? Like, what happened to you that you're so empty that you need someone else to step on? I don't know. And I, 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 my answer to that is that like, it is a system of inequity where like people feel stepped on, so they feel the need to step on people. I mean, like, right. I mean, let's be honest, like Arab government, like most people abilities to self-govern. There's like, it's a strict culture of like, you have to do this and you have to do that. And like, so you end up like, when it's horrific to even say that out loud, but you end up like venting your frustration on like oppressing somebody else. Yeah, and right. then in an immigration context, like same thing, like people are being, immigrants are often buying into anti-blackness because they're trying to like, get a leg up in the racial hierarchy while they're being discriminated against from white people. So they're, they, they're like, let's try to gain like some level of proximity to whiteness by like, mm. by being awful to the same people that white people are being awful to, you know? Yeah. 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 But also like, I think that's just like a, much deeper psychological question like outside of any context like why like why why must we all do this yeah <laughs> right. um yeah and why must we ex- like what possesses a group for example to like exclude others what does that get them um you know that's yeah. i feel like that do ties into talk it about i i, I guess this is like stepping back just a little bit so when we we're talking about like queer Muslim spaces not necessarily being inclusive. Do you want to talk about what happened in Houston? um, So I actually used to live in Houston before coming here to D.C. Um, Yeah, and there was a queer Muslim group that was established a few years ago um, by some people I know. Um, And one of them took over and started slowly excluding a large portion of the group and changed the mission statement to specify that this was for not only it, it didn't only say like it was only for people who grew up Muslim quote unquote and then it specified it was for South Asians and Arabs and then yeah the black members and East Asian members for example were like um okay Okay, okay, there's like so much there. First of all, like, what's wrong with being a convert? And second of all, it's also assuming that anyone who's not Arab or South Asian is a convert. Exactly. It it just, there was so much in that revised mission statement 
that ties into you know what, yeah. what, what we're talking about these assumptions or the way that um people equate like who is more who's the most muslim or the more muslim you know um and this was just recently and again it, it's like okay this is a queer muslim space this is the one you're like this is a this is a great combo you know, like i can i can bring my whole self to this to be this oppressive <laughs> yeah yeah and even then yeah so i mean thankfully i think that group has unraveled but you know like i love the choice of the words unraveled yeah i think it, i don't know how much it exists um but, maybe just that one person who excluded everybody yeah maybe it's a, a solo a group of one now so wow you know it's it's funny it's like we are i don't know why i'm always pulled to have compassion for not care and concern but just like oh they really must be hurting on some level i don't need to like give them anything of my personal energy but like God, that must suck to be you. <laughs> yeah. It must suck to suck that much. <laughs> it to me. Um, speaking of, back to like, I forgot to mention, like, so let's circle back to sucking really bad. Our <laughs> theaters in America. Just kidding. Um, so I am doing this one thing that is really both challenging and rewarding is the theater makers of color survey and reading because of this insurgence on people speaking out and being able to be vocal um, people have been like sending in responses about what we can do as people of color to like reshape how things are done for us anyway and like what are the things that we need and so looking at these surveys is really highlighted a both macro methodology for healing as well as for my personal self is like just by reading these responses like how have things been shaped or how have i felt being in this system brings the focus back to me and like what do i need what do i actually need to order in order to exist in this playing field and so without having to like I don't necessarily I don't necessarily need to call people out or list all the harms publicly on social media like I feel like that's being done a lot and I don't need to be adding one more voice to that it's not useful for me to do that but what it is useful is for me to chronicle like oh when I when I um interacted with theater acts this is what happened and this is what tokenism felt like to me and this is what it felt like to get an email and saying hey can you fill out this share, share your work and write a little bit so we can use this for our jerome application and then never hear about it again or this is what it felt like oh can you bring all of your black people that you know to our our, our next show that's a black that's a black playwright she's really shy and we need your help so it's really insightful for me to sit and meditate in this time of wonderful COVID-19 to like think about like, oh, am I going to ever do that again the next time I get an email like that? Probably not. Because what did I, I mean, how was I fed or was it, was any of that energy that I, 
reciprocated? No, it wasn't. So that's what my, my own, like, I don't, I think I'm less right now. This time is for me, like lots of self care, lots of self focused, you know, directed energy. Like, what am I doing for me? How is my work serving me? Because I'm the one putting out the energy. What do you pro like? What do you programming needs to happen? Exactly. And also, exactly. I think it's like like when sometimes you think you needed that. Exactly, and I'm like, oh well, if they needed me, how do I need me? Something that I have been thinking about a lot is like the power, and I know this is cliche, but like the power of no. Which is to say that, like, I, I just like, I actually said this to a collaborator. I was like, listen, like, I really care. And this person, uh, this this kind of work, um, it's a it's a very small theater, and like most people who work in it are POC, and that's something like the theater really like prides itself on. Uh, but the artistic director is white, and and everybody's like, it's v- again like very very small like grassroots initiative, and so like there's very little compensation. And I was like. Mm. I'm unsure if that's actually like sustainable in the long run and if we're like perpetuating systems of violence of like like we're asking all these people to like celebrate POC stories but in the process we're like undermining and underpaying all of them like I don't know if that's actually something we want to be complicit in. Right, right, right. Sometimes I wonder is is the economic model of theater itself is this a sort of like just a low-end industry? You know, it's like yeah. how can yeah. I mean, that's been like like I can't, I'm keep bringing everything back to economics, but my 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 whole thing has been like let the theaters burn. Like if 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 the vast majority of them are not like feeding, but also literally feeding their artists, then like let them burn. That's fine. Right, and hopefully we will find a way in out of the ashes to come up with some more, you know economically profitable and sustainable models. And I hope so. But if we can't do that, then society doesn't get to have art. <laughs> like, that's what it comes down to. Like you don't get to have art when I have to like work five different jobs that each like give me $800 stipends. Like, fuck that. I'm sorry. Like, oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> that can't happen anymore. That can't happen anymore. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, that time COVID has ruined our life. Uh, not my life. It maybe is, and like I'm sort of grateful for this time because I'm like, oh, I'm not. Um, you know, 2019 isn't going to happen again on so many levels. Like this is about this. It's got to be about something different because I don't want to burn out again. Wow. Yeah, I don't want to burn out again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's making all of us question. I know like essential is kind of a loaded word, but I don't mean it in like the literal definition of essential worker. Um, mm-hmm. I just mean like it's it's making us like literally question like what do we really need, and then what other bullshit can we drop? Like, right. do we really need to be? D- does if this theater is hurting people for the sake of making art, does it need to exist? No, not necessarily. Am I if I'm doing like unpaid labor for? someone with the hopes that maybe I'll get some positive credit or exposure mm-hmm. like do I need to be doing that like nope not really no. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no nope, there's like a 10 other things I can do yeah, yeah. I could I, I think like maybe maybe bring this 
Okay, earlier you were talking about, um, like, capitalism and relationship to, like, political systems and protests. Like, I think, uh, like, the protests are happening for a lot of reasons right now. But, like, one of them is that people, whether they don't have to work right now or can't work right now, like, they're, they're not at work and they can protest, right? Like, the, the system of capitalism is something that is, like, actively keeping people from being politically involved most of the time. And now that there's holes in that, like, some something can seep through those holes. Right. People have time. Like, they're not. And that's the one thing is people had their day-to-day jobs that kept them from, like, well, if I don't go to this cool. job, then I can't eat. Yeah. But it's now. That's not happening. Yeah. I can't. I still can't eat. Because right, exactly. I mean, and that goes that goes back to like what I was saying about Jeremy O'Harris and Michael (laughs) R. Jordan, where it's like, um, like yeah, there's this, and like obviously these are very specific, like people in the spotlight, people who are like not your average, like I have a nine to five job, but that I think that applies to like your average population, like that applies to white people and people of color, where it's like, yeah, were we going to think about these issues as much when we all had to like hustle in five different gigs? And then the hustle of five different gigs in theater and beyond, like freelance culture goes well beyond theater. Right, and right, so right. like when are like people are don't have the time to even think about protests or like just trying to maintain like their life and like their like livelihood, like itself is a full time, it's like not it's more than a full time job, it's like two full time right, jobs. Right. So like, in a way I'm grateful for, well, I'm not grateful for like 40 people million people being unemployed but i'm grateful for people having the time to to be able to process and actually like see the kind of like violence that this moment like the the economics of this moment with all most of the essential workers being like black and brown people uh has rendered and people like and honestly that probably could have happened at another time and people wouldn't have noticed but people like sitting in front of their tvs and actually seeing that has like changed things i hope right And I've really, um, I've been just noticing this shift of what would have been labeled radical just even a couple months ago. It's now being talked about in like mainstream, just Mm -hmm. mainstream. And, um, and people are thinking, starting to think, okay, maybe these ideas are possible. And like, we've been just so programmed to see some of these ideas as like, so far fetched and not. Not yeah, like, like, like prison like, abolition has come up in spaces where I never thought prison, prison abolition, abolition would come up. Yeah, police, because, like abolishing of the police. police. Yeah, yeah, and like it's just, it's been great to see that um, talked in more like moderate spaces or like mainstream, like you said. That makes me wonder: is like if we, if we are now able to think about these these concepts that are like. Um, when did the police, like, when did the police become an industry? Like what, uh, 200, 100 years ago? Like what else are we not, um, what's, what else is not at the forefront? Like what else is where our minds are so busy that we can't conceive of a new, a, a different way of being? And even, and in, because in, I don't think that we're not gonna be capitalists anytime soon, that I think that different different concepts have been able to be monetized, and I think with a little bit of ingenuity and not and not 
because I'm, I'm only saying this because I don't think capitalism is going to die just soon. Not away. because I'm like, um, <sighs> not because I'm like rah rah capitalism, but just because okay, this is where we're at. Is like, what can we shift and change to just make a acceptable i think anything can be monetized like we can see that all the time and it's like i think i think we're, we're just a little we're a little slow you know what i mean like when is this is so off topic but when is is like um electric cars going to it's now like becoming more popular is it the tesla i don't i'm living in new york i don't have a car i don't yeah. think it is the tesla yeah. <laughs> but i think that there's so many other things that become can become monetized and we can profit from that i don't think we really have a concept for and i think we're just really low i wish we could speed up because too many people are hurting we we talked a lot about like the theater industry at large, but uh, I would love to hear more. And you touched a little bit on your your own play, but I'd love to hear more about your writing generally. Like, what are some? Um, I guess some of your writing, as much as you feel comfortable talking about, but also like some artists that you're finding really exciting that you're that you would like to recommend to people. My right. Well, I have been the last year. I've been in a sort of like trying to find a new mode of writing and I and I think I'm in a in a bit of a, a new discovery place as far as coming from like I've been writing less theater and writing some other things I don't know what that writing is going to turn into yet but lately I've been reading more poetry and more fiction and so I don't know I think I I may have a novel in me that I'm like slowly developing I, you know, it may turn into some film and TV pilots. We'll see. But I'm just, I'm like branching out because I'm like, I wrote a lot of theater in 2000, from 2016 to 19. And so I'm a little like, um, that soil is wore out a little bit. So I'm like interested in other forms and other genres. Artists that I'm like, I'm looking at, I've been watching, I mean, to be honest, I've been watching a lot of television, a lot of Netflix. And Haven't we all? <laughs> well, that's a legitimate art. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a, totally. Know. No, I actually, I've been, I've been writing something for TV myself during quarantine, which I hadn't oh. before, only because I like, I mean, I, I'm all doubtful about like when theater is going to come back, but I also like, I'm so grateful for like limited series and like the art yeah. form. Oh, so gorgeous. Anyway, sorry to cut you off. No, 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 no. I'm excited to hear. I'm excited to hear what you're watching so I can, because I'm, I, um, you know, I have a, I, I just finished, I finished all of Working Moms and um, I finished, I'm trying to think of, um, I watched this movie called, is it called, oh my God, I have to look it up. Um, Something Spades. Tell me what you guys have been watching. Uh, most recently, Rami, which like, have have oh you watched God. it? Have you watched Rami? I think like the rest of us have. On Hulu, it's on Hulu. I yeah. tried to watch the first episode, and then I had some a little bit of PS PTSD, and so I fair, got gotcha. you. <laughs> Very fair. Season wait, please? season one or season two? Season one. So uh, I was actually like in our call last week. I was going to talk about Rami because. Uh, 
Rami like very directly tackles and like addresses the anti-blackness of Arab communities yeah. uh, in season two specifically, where they've uh, they've like created they've like added a new arc where like his uh, shape is like Maharshala Ali, who is amazing. He is so fucking good in that role. I'm obsessed. Okay, so I will get on that. Thank you. Yes. This is what um, Hassan Minaj. That's what I've I've started watching and. Um, I find him very, very, very refreshing. And so that is that is my new... Are you watching Patriot Act? Yes, pa Patriot oh, Act. You should check out his, his stand-up as well. Uh, okay. Like, Homecoming King is one of my, oh, is my favorite set of special like, yeah. of all time. Yeah. Right, okay. Homecoming. And he talks about, like, an if, like, he, like, tells his story from, like, an immigrant experience, but also, like, with a lot of, like, hilarious humor in it. Right, I saw the I saw the latest the the in volume six episode where he breaks down George Floyd's life, right. and that was just stunning. I was crying throughout that because it's so it's home. I also watched um, recently um, Dave Chappelle's Eight Forty Six, and um, I mean I mean I, lo I love Dave Chappelle. Um, to death, I think he has a, a blind spot for women. Um, but other than that, yeah. He's also said a lot of transphobic things. But I know, I know. <laughs> yes. The second thing that I was about to say is like, I, I feel like I just said yeah. I really like Miles Davis. So, right. <laughs> yeah. which I do, I, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's difficult. No, he's not. He's um, he has his blind spots. So yeah, that's what I've been up to is like watching, watching Netflix. I'm gonna right. get on Rami. I'd recommend, and also if like if, hmm, some people might disagree. I think you can watch season two without watching season one. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Just skip yeah. To, skip to season yeah. two. Yeah, I think that's. It's yeah. I mean, they pretty like heavily reference season one, but like they reference it in a way where you like they make you know what happened. Yeah, so like, exactly. You're, you're like, you would be fine. What do you think of not, Aziz Ansari? I, I haven't, like, after I was, like, interested in watching him and I watched um, the Mas one episode. Master, Master of None. Of None. Mm -hmm. Yes, I watched that. And then I watched one episode, which I thought was kind of cute, but then I heard some other stuff and then I, like, I was like, no. Yeah, yeah the episode he did... Um, like after his accusations, like I saw that and it was like such a non apology episode that I was like, Yeah, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, oh. it's like all these people that we want to like, <laughs> right? Right, oh. it's like, and and even in terms of like apologies, it's like you had the opportunity to apologize genuinely and not like make jokes that are just like skirting around you know like like skirting around any responsibility but you chose not to so like yeah where are these anyway anyway yeah okay um so then it's like where who it's hard to <sighs> yeah i'm like here's the thing like cancel culture is is a real thing and i i i believe that people can like change and that people can you know, we can forgive people for stuff, but I think it's like there's to a degree. Some, sometimes people are just like unwilling to change. Right. But you know what? That that these these actions that come up 
hopefully will just make space for other people to to make work. Right. And I think um, sometimes we have, like, once we get out of, like, okay. I was kind of thinking earlier, I, I, I might be going on a whole nother tangent here. I was thinking about, like, the idea of, like, internalized tokenism. Ooh. Um, and I think that shows up in multiple ways. Again, tangent. Like, sometimes thinking, like, there can only be one of us. So if there's this other person, like, feeling competitive with people of a similar identity to saying, like, they won't take both of us. There can only be one. Or right, sometimes right. when it's with people we support, we, like, feel the need to, like, protect to the death, like, one person who is successful within, like, some marginalized group that we identify with because we think there can't be another. Like, if this right. person gets knocked off to the pedestal, it's over. And it's like, no. no. If we just, like, believe that, like, there a multitude of voices could thrive, then yeah. we wouldn't, like, be afraid of holding people accountable for their actions because they're, like, a minority. You know, speaking of that, I don't know why I, I, I mean, the, it, that shows you this internalized tokenism right here is because I didn't have like Issa Rae and Insecure at the top, even though Issa Rae does not really go into queer spaces at all. Like it's something that um, I've looked to as like, oh, and, and a ton of other people have um, looked to as like a, a moniker of like, oh, there's space for, you know, this type of storytelling. Um, another person that's really caught my attention, everybody's attention is Sarah Cooper with the TikTok videos. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, um, she has- You're so old. I don't know who that is. <laughs> the youngest one here. <laughs> I know, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not really storytelling per se, but she's doing something that sort of opens the door to possible other ways of telling stories. And that's what's really interesting to me is she's got this impersonation thing, but she's really telling stories in an odd way, I think. I think it's really intelligent. Also, someone else... Um, Oh, the five, um, the Black Lady Sketch Comedy Show with Robin Thede, and I don't know all of it, which is a shame, but the, the, that sketch comedy show was like absolute fire. Like I was, it was just all of it amazing. And then there was another, the Astronomy Club, which also, I don't know if that was on Hulu or Netflix as well. That was an amazing set of work. I think Mo mostly, I mean, it was comedic, but those are things that recently, and it, those are like probably like six months ago when I was watching those, but also amazing, amazing work by black people. One thing that I can really, that I, that I think you might appreciate as well is Little America. It's on Apple TV. Uh, and it's about like, it's, it's like little vignettes. Each one is like 30 minutes and there's eight episodes. And each episode is like based on a real, uh, based on a real immigrant story coming to the U.S. and how they made it here, and it's so gorgeous. It like makes me cry every time. Little America, okay, that's on my list. Cool. Did I answer? Um, I think I totally I probably I... missed a lot, but no, I feel like we've had a really holistic conversation. Yeah. Yeah. We've been so many places. <laughs> <laughs>
But this is like the episode of tangents. It's great. <laughs> but it all feels cohesive too. Oh, it all felt it all felt really important. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for doing Absolutely. this. Yeah. Where can people keep up with you or follow your work? Yeah. Um, on my website, which is daimomugashir.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Everyday Afroplay, and I'm. I'm trying to get my Twitter activity up, but EDAP text. Yeah. And then Facebook, um, Daima Mubashir. I think it's like my handle is D Mubashir. Um, and I post things that are upcoming. They, you know, so Room Enough will have a reading with the Playwright Center. I don't know the dates, but it, we thought it was going to be in the summer, but now it might be in the fall. And um, I will post those dates when I have them from the Playwright Center. And Amazing. yeah, um, I'll also be doing some work on Immeasurable Want of Light soon, but I'll also be posting, I don't know the dates yet, but I'll be posting that as well. That's so amazing, like how much you're, you're writing and how much uh, is out there. We're so excited to see your work. Yeah. Hey, yay. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for having me. This yeah, is really this is good to be, to reconnect yeah. your Muslim space that's positive and inclusive. Thanks so much for doing Thank this. You. Thank you. You all can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Queer Arabs. And our website is thequeerarabs.com. And you can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com.